Hello and welcome to the weekly VM Campos comic book club. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is a podcast where I review a comic book, new or old, from my collection and rate it on the factors of the cover art, interior art, plot, and enjoyability of the book on a scale of one to five. And then I tell you to get it or shred it. For the video version of the podcast, head on over to youtube.com slash vmcampos. Well, everyone, it's the 300th episode of the podcast. And what better way to celebrate than to review one of my favorite issue 300s in my collection. That's right, I'm going to review The Amazing Spider-Man number 300, published in 1988 by Marvel Comics. Let's check it out. So I'm going to forego my usual point-by-point discussion of a comic book and just take a long, loving look at this great piece of nostalgia... Yeah, this is the mythical Amazing Spider-Man 300, which is often a grail to many newer comic book collectors. I've had my copy since 1988 that I bought at Omni Comics in Imperial Beach. During my first generation of comic book collecting, which is around 1987 to 1993 or so, 92 or so. And I was there when Todd McFarlane debuted his art on Amazing Spider-Man in issue 298. And basically went all the way with Spider-Man until uh, issue 333 or so. Now, this is not my original copy. Mine is a direct edition copy that I bought at Omni Comics in Imperial Beach. This is a newsstand edition. So, yes, I've got two copies. My original copy is over there somewhere. But I picked up this relatively nice copy a few years back to complete the duo. It's got the classic cover that's been swiped and homaged and stolen throughout the years. So many superhero and non-superhero comic books have borrowed that cover, and it all started with this Todd McFarlane cover. That pose, such an iconic Spider-Man McFarlane pose. What people always forget is that when they homage it, they never put the cityscape back there. They just put the, the posing, but not the city. This Xerox copy of uh, New York City. And uh, yeah, if they really wanted to be authentic, they would they would put the city back there and don't forget the anniversary blurb at the top. So yeah, iconic cover. Before we get into the interior, a few people remember the iconic back. This ad fascinated me because basically it's a spy role-playing game from good old TSR with the blurb, Beat Bond at his own game. Top secret SI, the espionage role-playing game. And then, of course, as was de jure at the time, just a huge block of text to convince you to play their game. Pause it, read it on your own. A little bit of art down here at the bottom as well. So this is the side of uh, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 300 that you, you never see. You always see the front. That's super iconic. But this is the back. Beat Bond at his own game. In my copy, we see several uh, color-breaking spine ticks in the back there. But again, that's just the back side. The front side is in much better quality. Not a 9.8, but I'm happy with the quality of this copy. My own original copy is in lower quality as well because it was well-read throughout the years. But anyway, I'm part of the Amazing Spider-Man 300 crew. Are you? All right, interior art. So, yeah, oh, this is iconic. This just gives me so many memories. Uh, Well, we'll get to the main story in a moment. But Captain Power, don't just stand there, fire back. Sorry about the glare here. So, uh, yeah, Captain Power, this was an amazing Saturday morning TV show where you had these vehicles where you would shoot at the TV with amazing lasers. They'd shoot you back. You got too many hits and your character would pop out of the out of the cockpit. Now, I had the good guys, this the, the white ship. My brother was the bad guys. He had the black ship, which looked way cooler. So anyway, yeah, classic Saturday morning cartoon that was just so advanced for the time. You could actually uh, fire at the TV. Amazing. 
but then here we go. Venom. So if you don't know by now, this is the debut issue of Venom, one of the most important Marvel characters in the last 30 years. And the debate, of course, is that 299 is actually his first full appearance because on the last page, he's there in a full page pose. And in 298, you see his hands. And then there's been various versions that have been retconned as an earlier version before they really figured out Eddie Brock, Venom, etc. For the full completionist, get 298, 299, and 300, of course, to complete your Venom run. And then 315 and 316 for the first few issues of Venom. But anyway, here we go. Stanley proudly presents a comic book milestone. The fabulous 300 issue of The Amazing Spider-Man. Written by David Michelinie. Art by Todd McFarlane, including his own inks. Rick Parker, letterer. Bob Sharon, color. Jim Salakrup, editor. And Tom DeFalco, editor-in-chief. I'm not going to read this word for word. You should, but I've got to read this opening part. Her name is Mary Jane Watson Parker, but she doesn't know that. At this moment, she knows almost nothing, for her mind has been harshly numbed, all thoughts cruelly drowned in an onrushing tide of primal fear, an emotion that may never fully fade. Don't come near me. Please don't touch me. A shadowy figure coming at her with a spider. Classic McFarlane, Mary Jane, huge hair at the time. And the story continues. So, back in 299, the previous issue, Venom comes to terrorize her. A brand new villain to battle Spider-Man. We don't know anything about him, really. We're going to definitely get to know him in this issue. And by now, more than 30 years later, we know the full story of Venom. It's Eddie Brock in the beginning. It has all the powers of Spider-Man, plus more strength. Negates Spider-Man's spidey sense. Knows his true identity, and so forth. It's a long, interesting story for that character. You can pause it, read it on your own. This is still very early on in McFarlane's run in Spider-Man, so not all of the McFarlaneisms are there. Still some constraint into from the classic Marvel method, the really out there spawn. Todd McFarlane is, isn't quite there. Now, I always loved this panel here. We see this mysterious character coming into his shoddy apartment walking through the shadows, and then he is normal human. And so little by little, we are getting revealed who is this new villain. We get a flashback to Secret Wars number eight, which I've also got that copy, although here it's noted as Secret Wars number nine, as perhaps the important issue. Obviously, number eight is the one that's got the iconic cover as well. True fact, I picked that up for like a dollar at a thrift store about 10 years ago in perfect condition. Uh, back when thrift stores were still a gold mine to dig through. Some more recap. This is stuff happening in Web of Spider-Man number one. I have an interesting story with that issue as well. I picked up my own copy way back in 1992. I paid $20 for it because Caesar Mitchell was just jacking up the price and he knew I wanted it and I kind of overpaid at the time. But nowadays, it's definitely worth that amount, no problem. Check out my other video where I review my newsstand edition, direct edition, and Canadian price variant of Web of Spider-Man number one. Then we got some sexy Mary Jane in lingerie, Xerox copy of New York City. Peter and Mary Jane left their apartment and stayed at a nice hotel because, again, who's this guy that terrorized Mary Jane? Time to suit up and head out. The classic McFarlane webbing is in full effect here, plus the posing. And people often forget we had this, uh, this, this effect. Uh, McFarlane used this effect at this time where he would uh, Xerox copy a real cityscape, tweak it up a little bit for the comics page. So basically here, he's got this sonic weapon that he picked up from Reed Richards because he knows that sound damaged the, the alien symbiote that he had that he got from the uh, Beyonders world during Secret Wars. 
So he's got some backup here. There's a message from Mary Jane and for you youngsters, that's known as an answering machine. It answers for you and takes a message. Wow. This is another panel that really stands out in my memory. And notice there's not a lot of panels that are really like that interesting looking. They're well done, of course. McFarlane was a master even at this time, but he's definitely got, he, be, he became more McFarlane as the time went on. His characters became more mannered. His designs became more visually interesting. But I always like this one here. Huh, I couldn't be in any danger or my spider sense would be warning me, but somehow I almost feel like I'm being followed. And if you notice, there's a guy back here that is constantly changing and getting closer and following. Gives him the slip and Peter didn't know how close he was to a battle. Beautiful pose. I need that on a t-shirt. Wouldn't that be perfect for Comic-Con? We're doing some apartment hunting here. Peter's distracted. Mary Jane is frisky. Now over the last year or so, I got back into film photography. So I look at these comics in a different way whenever I see a camera. Like, what camera is that? Is that a Leica M6? No, of course not. This is an SLR. Anyway, there's a lot of subtle sexiness in these plots that I never really realized. But now looking at it as a grown man, ah, oh, heck, I'm not cut out for this. I just feel silly. It's hopeless. You know, he's not into real, like, fashion photography glamour shots. He's into photojournalism. Uh-oh, Peter's getting even more depressed. Got to do something to perk him up. In that case, man o' mine, how about taking some snaps for our private collection? And slowly, Peter's spirits begin to rise. Yeah, as a kid, I didn't know what was going on there, but as a full-grown adult, that's so pervy. And then we switch over to Aunt May's place and her boyfriend at the time for some bonding and quality time. We return back to that mysterious figure at a church. What is this, Daredevil or something? So our boy Eddie Brock is there. Unfortunately, he has to kill a young cop. He feels bad about it, though. Innocent death is always unpleasant. But nothing must stand in our way. Nothing must block our righteous revenge. And by all that sacred, nothing will. People forget that kind of in the beginning, there was a little bit of religious overtones to Venom. That was uh, quickly dropped, of course. Because you can't have religion in a fantastical superhero comic. So anyway, these several panels here are very, very nice. And this shot here is just kind of brutal. We have the symbiote coming down from his feet, as well as subduing the, the gun and then suffocating him horrifically, with finally then landing with that dead expression. Surprised that there wasn't any sound effect like whomp. It's a bit subdued with some of these sound effects, right? Because we only get here flip and poomp. Another scene of domestic bliss with some real classic 80s hairstyles. Some characters that are way more cartoony than the rest of the characters. Mary Jane looking fabulous as always. Robbie Robertson puffing away in his cigarette. But what's this? That's not Spider-Man. It's time to go hunt this fake spider. But wait a minute. Spider-Sense is ineffective. And here we go. Spider-Man versus Venom. The first battle. Back before Venom's uh, face was just completely distorted and vicious. It was still human-ish, but with a big mouth. Venom is bulkier than Spider-Man, although not huge compared to his depictions later. And this is, of course, the proto-character that would go on to be one of the biggest Marvel villains of all time. And we get the origin story here. Eddie Brock was a reporter at a rival newspaper. He thought he broke the news of the Sin Eater case. It happened to be someone else that was the killer. He staked his career on that article, which was wrong. That caused him to get fired. His journalistic integrity was shattered, and they gave him the boot. He would get angrier and angrier at this, at these fortunes. And he got to such a point where he was really contemplating suicide. 
Well, guess what? He ended up at the church where, in Web of Spider-Man, the symbiote and Peter were disconnected. And as fate would have it, a new symbiotic relationship was formed. All the while through that backstory, Spidey's reaching for the sonic weapon, but not fast enough. Lunging for your weapon? Trying to fight? Good. And then there's an epic battle pose here. Kroom. Knocks Peter down to the next level. More battling and kicking. It's just amazing to kind of see the uh, the two spider characters battling it out with each other. As you can see, McFarlane is a little bit constrained, it feels, throughout the issue so far. If you watch um, cartoonist kayfabe guys going over issue 298, which is Todd's first art on Spider-Man, this is only three issues in, so he's still kind of restrained a little bit. There are some flashes of uh, greatness here and there, but overall it's, it's, a, it's still a little bit kind of by the numbers a bit. Peter needs to escape to regroup for a little bit, but whoops, you're not getting away. He comes crashing back, and with a powerful whop, Spider-Man is out. When he wakes up, he's all webbed up in the very same bell that caused the separation with the symbiote. And again, the religious aspect of Venom in the beginning is there, but quickly removed by, uh, by the time on his second appearance, issue uh, 315, about a year later. There's a little bit of pontificating, as villains are wont to do, and then he walks off. Well, here comes the bell. It's going to swing back and forth and just crush Spidey's bones. But he's all webbed up, and he has to use his superhuman strength as always to stop it. There's only so much punishment he can take, though. But no worries, he's free. So Venom is back to for round two to battle. Peter realizes that, wait a minute, his fluid is organic, as I recall, when we were bonded. And using that fluid, also used up my own reserves. So he must have used a lot of webbing to tie me up. I can use that to a, my advantage. I'll have him distracted and keep using up his webbing. He'll get weaker and weaker. And yep, too weak to fight back. So it wasn't that on, on the very first battle, or I guess the second battle of Spider-Man versus Venom, that it was the pure brawn that beat him. It was just weakening him, doing the old rope-a-dope to have himself tire himself out. Then he could be defeated. The big epic battles would come in the future. We've got this uh, recurring type of a character that McFarlane would, also, would often create, this chubby guy with a Hitler mustache. <laughs> and by the end of it, we've got Eddie and the symbiote all wrapped up in the Fantastic Four's uh, chamber over here. This was the time that the thing had this really craggly appearance that I really enjoyed. And here's the uh, uh, Felix the Cat trope that McFarlane would add to his books. Back at home, Mary Jane is kind of distant. But hey, I thought I, I thought everything's good. I defeated him. What's wrong? That's what's wrong. That costume. It's going to keep reminding me of those bad things. Get rid of it. No problem. Let me toss it in the trash. Behind the scenes, McFarlane wanted to get Peter back into the classic red, white, and blue outfit. He grudgingly took the assignment at the time in the black costume era, but wanted to get him back to the classic threads. And here he gets his wish. He burns the old black costume. He's got a spare Spidey costume that he got from Spider-Man vs. Wolverine special. And a legend begins anew. The first art of Red and Blue Spider-Man by Todd McFarlane. Now that would make an awesome t-shirt, wouldn't it? Snowy New York, totally contorted pose, and that spaghetti webbing. We finish off with Stan's soapbox. I'll let you read it there. These are always fun to read, give you an insight into the comic industry at the time. We wrap up with an ad for some classic Konami games. I had Castlevania, Goonies 2, 
Russian Attack. These were amazing. Top Gun, one of the worst games ever. And the other ones, oh, Gradius was another good one. I never really played Double Dribble much. It's a classic ad. And that wraps up Amazing Spider-Man number 300. And that was the 300th episode of the podcast. Wow, what a long, strange trip it's been. I've reviewed over 300 comics. Uh, well, kind of. There was a period in there where I wasn't quite reviewing comics, but anyway, never mind about that. But it's been a great journey the whole time, looking at a variety of comic books, new and old, from my collection. And I want to thank you if you've been a long-time listener to the podcast, either in the audio or video form. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. If you want to help keep the podcast going, head on over to patreon.com slash vmcampos and pledge at the low price of $3.33. That really helps out the show. It keeps it funded, it keeps it going, and you can become a part of it. I would really appreciate it. If you can't quite pledge at the moment, no worries. Simply like, comment, share, subscribe, ring the bell, battle the Minotaur, do all that good stuff. I would really appreciate it. And so, once again, this week I read The Amazing Spider-Man number 300, published in 1988 by Marvel Comics. So this has been the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club, and I'll see you next week.